Welcome to the Adaptives with Maya Parker podcast. On this podcast, we bring on successful leaders and share their stories and ideas, but mainly dive deep into the how and why they did what they did so that you can do what they do and be successful at it too. So stay tuned to this episode of the Adaptives with your host, Maya Parker podcast. I just want to let you know that not all parts of this podcast interview were recorded. Um, so basically, the first question that I asked Anthony was about his early life when he was younger, and that's what he's about to talk about right now. My my parents split up when I was very young, uh, so I was raised, uh, shared between the, the two of them. They shared custody with us. Uh, I would say I had a, I mean, relatively good childhood. Um, I thought I wanted to be a dentist, but that was just because dentists make a lot of money. And so uh, I pretty quickly realized I didn't want to be inside people's mouths all the time. So um, changed that pretty quickly. I was I was okay uh, in high school football. So I was like, maybe I'll be a football coach. Um, <clears throat> tried tried the schooling curriculum for coaching and teaching uh, for about a semester. Pretty quickly realized I didn't want to do that either. Um, so yeah, I dropped out of college because uh, coaching and teaching was not something I was interested in either. Um, I left out a very important part about high school, which is where I met my wife, of course, girlfriend at the time. Um, I was 14 or 15 when we met. Um, I would say she, she would be the turning point for, uh, my life and my main motivator to do anything good, uh, in this world, uh, is because I want to, uh, do good by her and not let her down. Uh, so yeah, kind of used her to, to motivate me to go do something with my life, get a job and make some money. And so, uh, I got an entry level teller job at a bank, which doesn't make a lot of money, but it paid the bills. Um, we got married while I was a teller and I worked various jobs, um, at the bank. I got promoted, several times. Um, but still that wasn't like my, uh, it didn't fulfill me. So I had a good conversation with a friend of mine, uh, right before I quit the bank. And he's like, man, you really like technology. Why don't you go work in it? And I was like, good point. Just so happened our bank had like back in our operations area, some entry level it jobs, got one of those, uh, was a help desk technician. Um, and, advanced through the IT ranks. Um, and here we are 11 years later, still in IT, but I've worked my way up to a, a senior manager position uh, in the IT department. Um, what do you think some of your key lessons that you kind of learned from all of that? So I actually just talked about this earlier on um, <clears throat> my own podcast and I came to realize that people often put themselves in, um, I call it like an ecosystem mentality. You get into a, you get into an ecosystem and you only see what's around you and you create limitations based on your ecosystem. So you think, so like when I was a teller, I thought, man, if I could just become the branch manager one day of this bank, I'm going to like, that's the top and I mean, that's true in that ecosystem at that bank branch, but in reality, there's infinite, in, infinite possibilities outside of that ecosystem. And so, I mean, that's the case with pretty much all aspects of life. Um, so being aware of that and knowing there are other ecosystems, another way I kind of looked at it throughout my life is, you know, people talk about the corporate ladder. Well, there's a whole bunch of ladders and you don't just have to go this way. Sometimes you jump over to a different ladder and start climbing that one. Um, so that, that was probably the primary uh, aha moment I had at one point in my career. And what do you think you're the, like, you are the best at, like, what aspect of, or job or just, like, a skill, I mean, that you seem, or a couple of skills even, that you seem like you think you're pretty good at? 
Yeah, so um, my passions have changed quite a bit over the years. Um, currently, and I believe that this is probably the real true passion in my life, is leading people and helping people get to where they want to go in their careers. And so um, I'm I'm really good at understanding where a person is at in their career, where they want to go in their career, and giving them uh, the roadmap, helping them understand what skills they need to acquire, and helping them accomplish those goals. Um, I'd say, like, what specific thing are you doing? I know you mentioned your podcast, but, like, is that it? Or, like, what uh, specific thing are you doing that it, that you're doing to do that? Uh, well, I mean, as a leader at my in my company, I'm managing um, like 20 people. So it's my daily responsibility of my job to lead people. Um, but a lot of managers don't recognize that as a responsibility. Like they think like, oh, I need to hit these, you know, quarterly financial goals or whatever. And that that is important to the success of the company. But I personally prioritize the people over all of that other stuff. Um, so in my job, I do it. Uh, I am starting um, my own online business leadership and career coaching. Um, website will hopefully be up this month. And so that's kind of the motivator behind why I've started over on Twitter and am trying to grow there. Uh, is to gain awareness and kind of establish myself as an authority and a leader in that space. Um, but yeah, along with that is um, podcasting and, and stuff like that. Can you tell us more about and content creation your thoughts on it? I see you do a lot of Twitter threads, like kind of your strategy with content creation and things like that. Yeah, so my... Um, birthing into content creation was actually on YouTube almost to the day a year ago. Uh, I started a YouTube channel talking about movies and TV shows and did pretty well. I got like 2,300 subs. I got monetized in six months. was doing pretty good, but it came back to like who I am and what fulfills me, and that wasn't it. <clears throat> so did some soul searching, took a break. Uh, came back with this career and leadership thing, started a new YouTube channel, um, but decided I wanted to go to like a written creator format. And so I was originally over on LinkedIn um, writing over there, but it started to feel kind of weird to be like writing to all of my coworkers. So that's why I ended up on Twitter. Um, my strategy, I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, I could probably be coached by you. Um, I... <laughs> And in the the art of purpose, uh, I don't know if you know who that is. Uh, he's got a create twenty four seven course. I'm I'm in that uh, kind of master class type thing. Um, I'm filling it all out. I'm trying to figure it all out. Quite honestly, you know I love crypto. How did you get into crypto, and uh, when did you start your podcast? The podcast started in May, so only a couple months ago. Um, my introduction to crypto. I mean, I've known about like Bitcoin for a very long time. Um, I, you know, the, it's going to be the thing I think that my kids one day, like I make fun of my mom for not buying Apple stock when, you know, when Apple was nothing. And I think it'll be the thing my kids p potentially will like make fun of me for not being a mega millionaire for not investing in Bitcoin. Uh, of course, at the time of this recording, maybe not. Maybe it's just going to tank. But um, I certainly could have been a millionaire uh, had I invested a long time ago. But I've bought uh, Ethereum uh, sometime in the past 18 months or so, bought and sold it. Uh, probably the thing I'm most familiar with in the Web3 space and crypto would be Helium. So you're into crypto NFTs, content creation. Um what, what what do you think like made you get into this and like how would you describe yourself an entrepreneur like what would you describe yourself as and what made you get into that whole field uh, I don't know that I would ever tell anyone that I'm like into web 3 or nfts or like it's interesting to me but I'm certainly not like 
deep into it. I've never purchased or owned an NFT. So I'm, I'm pretty noob at all of that still. Um, I would, I would probably say that I have an entrepreneurial mindset and desire to run and build my own business, uh, like in this leadership space and sell products and services around that. Um, I don't know that I really, I don't know. It takes some level of like confidence to be able to tell people like I'm an entrepreneur. Like, I don't know. There's like this mindset and kind of stigma or something associated with the word entrepreneur. And, and it just feels, I don't know. It feels in my mind, like I have to have succeeded as an entrepreneur before I can be like, I'm an entrepreneur. So yeah. Yeah, I think you've kind of succeeded. You're creating your podcast and all of that. And um, you're earlier than me in a lot of these different things. In crypto, like I wasn't in crypto that far back. I didn't even know about this helium thing. Um, that's really cool. Um, what are some setbacks or failures or uh, yeah, just setbacks or failures you've had? And how has it shaped you? Like maybe it was one decision you made and like you're like looking back on it. Like you always look back on it and it's like, dang it, that was a bad decision. And what, how, how has that shaped you? What have you learned from it? <sighs> um, I would say the one that I most often reflect on and kind of don't like who I was when I did it was when I was brand new to management. Um, I was leading uh, actually that same team, that, that entry-level IT team that I first got into, I had worked my way up to be uh, the supervisor of that team. And we had this one associate that was challenging and we were like shaking up the seating arrangement in the room. And I wanted him to be sitting closer to like where the managers sit. And so we, we did like a drawing to where like you would draw a number and that would tell you which seat you were going to be sitting in. And I intentionally held the number for his spot where I wanted him to sit and like went around and he was the last one to draw a number. And like, I put it in and I gave it to him and he drew it. And like he, he ended up like confronting me about it. And I like, he, he knew that I, he knew that I did that and I wasn't honest with him. And it like it hurts me to this day like why didn't i just say to the guy like hey you're going to be sitting over there <laughs> like it's not that hard but um yeah i don't i don't like that i did that uh i'm thankful that that happened very very early in my management career and so for the rest of my career i have ne i have been so intentional about just being truthful and honest with my people um and thankfully it wasn't like it wasn't that big a deal. Like it didn't have that big of an impact. It was just, I don't know. It's painful to look back on and know that that happened. Um, secondly, failures are freaking awesome. And it takes a long time for a person to realize that. And it takes a lot of maturity to recognize that failures are awesome. Um, the best failure I've ever had I tried to get into this one high-level IT job uh, as a high-level systems administrator, and I applied for it. I was so sure I was going to get that job, and I didn't get it, and I was crushed. And then within six months, I got a new management job, which led to the job that I'm in now that I love. And so I look back on that and I'm like, man, what if I would have got that job? Like I would never have gotten this job. And so I don't know, you know, pe people may say, you may think, I think things happen for a reason. Uh, I'm so thankful I didn't get that job because I am in such a great place in my career because I did not get that job. I have a similar thing. I tore my ACL and I thought it'd be horrible because I couldn't play sports, but it gave me so much more time to dive deeper into this content creation, NFTs, crypto, and, and I'm so happy uh, that 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 happened. So <laughs> everything does happen for a reason in my eyes, at least. 
Um, so you talked about like management, basically you learning and how to become a better manager. What, what? Until so you mentioned like making sure, like you making sure that like, you're building trust with all of these people um, that you manage. So, what are other things that have you learned um, and you've applied and you think has really shaped the way you manage people and helped you be more successful at doing it? Yeah, so like the, the fundamental thing that I believe as a leader, probably because of that failure early in my career, is that trust is like there has to be trust both ways from the manager to the associates and 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 them to to me. Um, and I've learned things that can establish trust really quickly when taking over a team. Um, I've I've created this questionnaire that I've sent out multiple times when like I get a promotion, I'm taking over a brand new group of people that have never reported to me. And so I send this questionnaire out that asks things like, what is something your old manager did that you want me to keep doing? What is something that they did that you definitely want me to stop doing? Um, if you could change anything about your job, what would it be? If there's something you think I need to know about this job or this company, what is it? And so it just like opens the doors and lets them know that I want to hear from them and I value their feedback. <clears throat> and um, every time I've ever done it, I've gotten like this group response that there's like this one thing that is like this major problem. And within a few weeks or a month or so, I can like knock that out. And it's just like instant trust. They are like this guy cares about us and will do what it takes to like take care of us. So yeah, that, that would be the fundamental thing, I think. Yeah. And for any managers out there, what are maybe one or three things other than those that they can implement today to be a better manager? Um, so there's a book called Extreme Ownership by a guy named Jocko Willink. Every manager ever should read that book. Um, it really has good principles in it for every human out there and just like taking ownership of your situation. And everyone should read that. And as a leader, you are literally responsible for everything. And so many managers live in this mindset of like, well, my, the people that work for me, their jobs, you know, this part of their job sucks, but it's because the people above me made some decision and I can't control that. But like you absolutely can, like it is your responsibility to go to your leaders and fight for your people to make their jobs, you know, enjoyable. So it, it, getting out of this victim mindset or thinking that you can't control things like you, you are the leader, you own everything. Yeah, so the shift in mindset. Um, okay, so I know you know Jay Yang, and I know you, you like read a lot of books. You learn from a lot of people. Is there anything that you learned recently that has um, that has really like shifted you dramatically? Like maybe just a couple of things that you've learned recently. What have I learned recently that's really stuck out? Let's see. Uh, I'm looking up at my my books. Uh, yes, I do read a ton of books. Um, okay. So, I don't know. Lately, I've been reading kind of like a bunch of non-management and leadership stuff. I don't know if you know who Naval Ravikant is. Uh, he's got a massive Twitter account, at Naval, N-A-V-A-L. Um, he, he's changed my life, just like t tons of mindset changes. Um, I, I would encourage anybody to go follow his Twitter account. <clears throat> or uh, he's been on multiple podcasts as well. You can go listen to him if you Google him. Um, reading a lot of Stoic philosophy, so reading uh, Marcus Aurelius' Meditations uh, has been really good for me. And then outside of that, like, goes back to the creation thing. I'm I'm like neck deep in trying to like crack the code of Twitter growth. So I'm just trying to learn how to be a better writer. And so a lot of my focus is just on writing right now. Is that your like favorite type of content creation writing? 
I really enjoyed creating videos uh, on another podcast recently. I was talking to someone and I have, I have like a code cracker mentality and it's like, like with YouTube, I wanted to know like, how do I get people to click on my thumbnails? What's the best title? What's the best way to keep retention through halfway through the video or whatever. And I, I figured it out for the most part. And so like it kind of became boring because the challenge wasn't really there. I mean, I could have continued to push myself like, okay, well now my goal is to get to 10,000 subscribers. And then now my goal is to get to a hundred thousand subscribers. But like the, just like formula of how to make a YouTube video clickable and watchable. Like, I feel like I understood that. And so now the challenge that I'm trying to understand and, and kind of crack is, is writing. So, um, Currently, yes, my answer would be I, I'm really enjoying the, the craft of writing and, and trying to learn it. Yeah, I create on YouTube and I think there's a lot of creators on YouTube. What is what is like the secret sauce to um, being a successful creator on YouTube, getting monetized in a couple months? Like what's the secret sauce? Oh, there, there are... Uh, first of all, the crutch of like thinking that it's luck and like the YouTube algorithm just doesn't like you like get, throw that mindset away right, right, like right now. Cause that's just not true. Um, the, there's so, there's so many components. So like, first of all, you need people to watch your video. They have to click on your video. And so that requires a good title and a good thumbnail. And that is a very easy for me to just say, but like everything that goes into a good thumbnail, like it's, it is a skill that you could spend hundreds of hours developing. And there are masters out there that will, that you can just go walk, look at their channels and see how they do thumbnails. And, uh, there, there's psychology behind it. it it's this whole craft you have to study, but that's just getting them to click on it. If they click on your video and then your content's bad and they click off of it, like before they're even 10% into your video, YouTube is not going to push your video to anybody. So you could have the best thumbnail ever, but if your content's terrible, YouTube's not going to promote you. So then now you've got this whole other skill set of being entertaining and delivering quality content and pacing pacing on youtube is so important mr beast talks about it all the time like saying so many words per second or whatever like i i kind of talk too slow for youtube i think too much and so i have to write like a whole script and like read it really quickly for youtube videos um so there's that there's how many cuts in your editing so if you're editing your own videos that's a whole nother skill like it's, it's, there's so many layers to YouTube. So, um, if you have the resources to outsource some of it, it removes quite a bit of the burden. So like getting people to make thumbnails for you can be relatively inexpensive. Good thumbnail creators will charge you like 20 to 40 bucks maybe per thumbnail. Um, when it comes to like video editing, you're going to be spending a lot more. So depending on how much money you have, you may pay for thumbnails, but learn editing or something. Um, but yeah, it's, it takes, it takes a lot of time to learn all of those skills. What do you think? I mean, who are some YouTubers who have great thumbnails that people should look at? I mean, Mr. Beast would be, uh, the king of the king of YouTube. Um, oh, there's that new kid, newish. He's, he does the penny things. Uh, he, he's like a. I turned a penny into a million dollars. What is that kid's name? Uh, if you wouldn't have asked me, I would know. YouTube penny guy. <laughs> there he is. Ryan Trahan. Uh, he makes... If you go look at his channel, you'll see a, uh, like a repeat of a lot of his thumbnail approach because a lot like Twitter, like when you write something and you know it works really well, like you just keep recycling it. And so with his thumbnails, like he'll just change like a couple aspects, but the kind of overall approach is the same. Um, hmm. Those are the two big ones that are sticking out in my mind. So there's the other resource I would refer any YouTuber to. I tell every YouTuber, if you're not on Twitter, get on Twitter and follow 
VJ Alto. That guy, I don't think he's even a YouTuber, but he studies and writes about the art of thumbnail creation. And there is so much value in that guy's Twitter account. Every single YouTuber should be following him. Yeah, um, I guess that means I should follow him. Um, oh, also, like, what are some good video editing, uh, like, tools that may, I don't know if you use them for free, but do you know of any free YouTube edit or video editors um, that are good? Yeah, I, I use DaVinci Resolve. Uh, it is the most powerful free video editing software you can get. They have a full version that's relatively expensive. Uh, I never saw a reason to pay for it because their free version is so good. So that's what I'd recommend to anybody. Yeah. Okay. You also mentioned um, some like some successful people. Uh, are there any more? Because a lot of people say you're the average of the five people you learn from the most. So like, who are five or so people that you learn from the most that people can follow today? Uh, I mean, today that's different than you know. A while back <clears throat> like right now i'm learning a lot from like the art of purpose on twitter um dakota robertson on twitter that's all like twitter creation and, and writing and stuff um if you're wanting to grow a youtube channel there's a channel called film booth that dude's amazing you should be watching him on how you do create good content uh the people who have like impacted me the most in my life um, are not like out on the internet for people to follow. Uh, one of the most impactful people ever in my life was an old manager that I used to have who I still have a good relationship with. His name's Rod. Um, but yeah, you, you can't find him on the internet. What are some things that he said or yeah, what are some things that he said or key things that he told you that makes you think or makes you think he's like one of those key impactful people to you yeah i mean he he just taught me like he ingrained in me a lot of the leadership um styles and and approaches that i have and just like prioritizing people and he taught me early on to always assume positive intent in people's actions don't assume that uh, you know, people are out to get you and that they're doing something with the intent of hurting you. Um, always assume that like from their perspective, the reason they're taking an action is because they think it's good. That isn't necessarily always true, but it sure makes the world a better place from in, in like in my mind. <clears throat> um, I'd say, I'd say that's primarily the big ones. Yeah, and um, the people that you learned that you said are impactful for you right now with the writing, Twitter writing and stuff, what are some things that they said that like really clicked with you and that you really liked? Um, gosh, so I mean, the thing, the, the best takeaways I've gotten from those guys have been like the approach to analyzing specific tweets or content that works really well and essentially seeing a formula in it and then taking that formula and it's like they may be using like you you just liked a tweet right before this podcast so it was the one that's like i said like people in your 20s blah 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 blah, blah. so that was a tweet that the art of purpose did that formula that approach but he said something completely different and um i was like what would i say to people in their 20s and so i took my message and i plugged it into that particular formula that just like jay was saying like it's a proven formula that people engage with and so it's just taking the the approach and putting my niche my 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 thoughts into the formula what do you what tools kind of do you use to um to like create your 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 thumb like your content on youtube like your thumbnails like do you use canva i use canva for it but it's probably better um 
thumbnail creators or whatever for uh, YouTube. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you asked about tools. And I'll talk about the YouTube ones, but we should also talk about Twitter tools as well. Um, it's funny you say Canva. So I use, I use a software called GIMP, which is like a free poor man's version of Photoshop. Um, anybody who uses Photoshop will be like, GIMP is trash, don't use it. But I didn't want to pay for Photoshop. So uh, I used GIMP for years, and I would look at Canva and be like, this software is garbage. Who would ever use it? <clears throat> I started using Canva like a month ago. I'm like, this is amazing. It's so easy. Oh, Canva's, a, Canva's incredible. Um, so yeah, I think it's really good for, for thumbnail creation. I talked to this one guy once. Um, he had a much larger channel than I had in terms of subscribers, but his engagement was terrible. And I found out that dude was making thumbnails in uh, PowerPoint. And I'm like, dude, you are killing me. His thumbnails. Oh, please don't use PowerPoint. <laughs> Canva is out there. Use Canva. Um, yeah, don't use PowerPoint. I for, for YouTube, the tool set pretty much was DaVinci Resolve for video editing, GIMP or Canva for thumbnails. Um, I would use TubeBuddy, but... These days, I don't know that it's that necessary. Like, I'd use TubeBuddy to, like, look at um, YouTube analytics, like, super detailed. But YouTube itself gives you so much data that I don't think TubeBuddy is even that needed these days. Um, so, yeah, that, that was pretty much it for YouTube. So, for Twitter, I'm using Hype Fury to schedule my content. Um Hype Fury, or there's Tweet Hunter, or there's other ones, I think. But I really like Hype Fury. I originally started using Hype Fury because I was also creating on LinkedIn. And Hype Fury has a LinkedIn um, like call, and you can put your tweets on both Twitter and LinkedIn at the same time. <clears throat> um, Hype Fury is normally, I think, $50 a month, and I got a discount code for 25 bucks for three months. I don't know how much Tweet Hunter is. But in my opinion, if you don't have a ton of time, like I have three kids and a wife and a job, I don't have time to sit down every single day and write. So I try to find one time per week to sit down with my Hype Fury. I take Hype Fury. I take my templates of tweets that I've seen all these other people doing that work really well. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to take that template and I'm going to use, since I talk about careers, here's what I'm going to say about careers in that template. And I schedule like three or four tweets a day in Hype Fury for a week, and then I'm done. And then it just posts it for me. So there's that. Yeah, uh, if you don't have time to sit down every single day, or you don't want to have to like pull out your phone and be like, what can I tweet about? I would highly recommend Hype Fury or Tweet Hunter. Um, Canva, yeah, Canva still can be used for Twitter. Like if you want to create images with like quotes on them or whatever, Canva's super helpful for that. Uh, for creating your banner on Twitter as well, Canva is really great. Um, what else do I use? Notion, notion.so is kind of like a note-taking tool. And in Notion is where I put all of the templates that I find that I think are really good. I put them into Notion. So I've got like a library of tweet uh, formulas that I can just pull from from right there and then go right in uh, in Hype Fury. And that's, I think that's primarily it for Twitter. One of those problems that you solved and uh, what lessons can anyone honestly take away from it? I told you kind of outside of the podcast that there was a there was this one particular problem we had with this piece of software that was used by like almost the entire company and it had tons and tons of technical issues every day and uh it pretty much most of the issues were when they tried to open the software they would get all these errors and they'd have to call support and get on the phone for 10 minutes and it was a whole thing and the software was written by and maintained by an external company and so we didn't have access to the code itself but we did have access to the error the errors that they would get 
what they were doing when they would get the errors, and then what our help desk was doing to resolve the errors. So we could take that information, and we used uh, something called PowerShell to write uh, a bunch of scripts. Basically, the software was almost acting like a bot, basically, to perform a whole bunch of checks of their computer before the application would open. So we knew like, okay, if this, if, if the software presents this error, it's because this system file was missing or because we needed to clear their cache or something like that. So when they would go, what, what we did was we replaced their desktop icon to call our software first. And so they double click it. It calls our bot. Our bots scans their system for all the like 10 or 15 different things. And once it either says like, okay, there's no problems or there were problems, but I fixed them, then it would open the software for them. <clears throat> and it reduced the amount of calls to this, to our help desk by like 30 or 40%. Um, that was a big deal. So the takeaway, I guess would be, it goes kind of back to the ownership thing from earlier. Like I think most people probably would have been like, well, you know, it's the vendor software. It's, I can't help that their software is buggy. What do you want me to do about it? Um, so like throw that mindset out the window and think like, what can I do? What do I have control over? And so that's how we were able to come up with that solution. That's amazing. And I think you, you're, uh, you're great at just solving your own problems. And that's an example of where you can say, yeah, I am kind of like an artist. I am like an entrepreneur. I'm creating something new and different to solve my problems. Um, so that's really cool. Um, I think I'm going to title this episode kind of like how to be a Anthony on how to be Anthony Disney on how to be a better creator and leader. So is there any like specific things you'd like to leave anyone who wants to be that way uh, with? I, yeah, I mean, I think at my core, I'm a problem solver. And so I think the creator mindset, no matter what you're creating, should be solving somebody's problem. And like, you're going to be wildly more successful with that mindset than like, what can my followers do for me? Or how can I best make money off of my audience? Like, that's rarely going to work because you're going to be focusing on the wrong things. Um, you need to be thinking about, I mean, it's kind of like marketing 101. You create a persona of a person, like a, a very unique, like this aged person, this gender, this nationality, whatever, and they have this problem. And because of my experience and my skill set, I can solve that problem. And everything you put out on, on the internet, like on whatever platform you're on, should be about creating that problem and you should do it for free like 90 percent of the time uh, that's the crazy thing about like the people that i talked about earlier like dakota robertson art of purpose uh, there's a guy named justin welsh who's like the king of linkedin they give away all of their content like pretty much everything you need to know to be successful writer or grow on LinkedIn or grow on Twitter. <clears throat> they tweet about it. They write about it. They post it all the time. They turn around and they sell courses for like 500 bucks or whatever, because they then come back and they package it all up nice and neat for you and present it to you in a very uh, clear way and organized way. Because it, without that, you would, have to dig through months or years of their posts and kind of piece it all together. But the reason they have the audience to sell to in the first place is because they're solving their problem and they're doing it for free. But are there like any, I don't know, but you did YouTube and stuff. So I know you make money from probably ads and stuff, but is, what are like some digital project products maybe that you think are a great way to monetize anything that you create digitally? Yeah. So I have a buddy who's on YouTube with, he's like at 750,000 subscribers and like he refuses to ever sell anything because he makes 
makes a lot of money off of AdSense. Um, I think he sells merch because, like, I think his people want like his branded stuff, but he doesn't like sell it for you know significant profit or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> so there's that approach. I mean, you could just give away all day on YouTube, and if you're you know entertaining enough, you you meet all those things we talked about earlier with YouTube. Uh, you're going to do well on YouTube, and you're going to make your money, and your your audience doesn't ever have to pay a dime. They can. YouTube now gives them ways to like donate and subscribe and all that stuff, like like you can on Twitch, but they don't have to. Um, so there's that approach. Uh, but then, kind of the space that I'm in, and it sounds like maybe you're you're eventually going to be in, is you give, 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 give for a long, long time, and then eventually. You're, you are going to have something to package up. <clears throat> and most likely what it's going to be is what I just said. Like you're going to go back and curate years worth of your own stuff and take all of the most valuable things you've given away over the years, package it up into an awesome package and sell it for whatever, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, I don't know, whatever, whatever. <clears throat> um, and it seems like Gumroad right now is like the place to sell digital products online. Um, specifically like uh, guides and stuff like that seems to be what most people are using and the cut's not that bad. I, I don't know. Gumroad takes like 30% up to some dollar amount and like the more you sell, they take less and less of the cut. Um, so I, I think Gumroad's probably a, a good place. Um, and then Canva, I've created my first product that I'm giving away for free. Um, it's a guide on how to, it's called manage up, like how to get your bosses to do the things that you need them to do. And I used Canva to just create like a good looking document and saved it as a PDF and put it on Gumroad. But yeah, I'm trash at writing and you seem to be uh, way better than me at writing at least based upon like your Twitter post. Um, how have you... What do you think is impacting your writing skills and or maybe like having these thoughts and being able to condense them down um, to put it out there in a thread or as like a tweet? Yeah, so, <clears throat> I mean, writing in and of itself is writing stuff that hum another human wants to read and find interesting is a skill to be developed. But then taking that a step further writing on depending on the platform you're putting it on <clears throat> and the the length is like a, a, more skills so writing short form on twitter is a completely different skill set than like writing a newsletter so um i i mean i'm still i'm i don't consider myself great at it <clears throat> so I, I mean i'm still learning a ton i think if you're like looking for resources, a great place to start would be something like the Art of Purposes um, Create 24-7 course. He sells it on Gumroad. I honestly don't know how much it is. <clears throat> um, I bought, I also, I think through his, he has a private community as well. It's like 15 or 20 bucks a month or something like that. Somebody on there recommended, somebody was asking for what books people should get. And so somebody recommended this um, writing tools, 55 essential strategies for every writer by Roy Peter Clark. Um, this is like very meaty. Like you read for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm on tool six because it's like, I read tool one and I'm like, it's like begin sentences with subjects and verbs. And I'm like, okay, that's something I'm going to have to think about every single time I write. And that's just, one of 55 tools. So it's like this book is going to sit here for a very long time as I like slowly go through it and try to adapt and learn. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm just trying to get better at writing, but, um, I guess writing more will always make you a better writer. I'm consuming more good written words, like things that were edited professionally, like books, um, can make you a better writer. Um, what do you think? So you consume, I see you read a lot, but um, you consume a lot of content as well. How do you find a balance of consuming and creating? Yeah, that's a pretty big topic these days. 
Um, <clears throat> I think most people have a consumer mindset, and it's very hard to switch, flip the switch to a creator mindset whenever you're constantly consuming. So ironic timing that you asked me that. I was just laying in bed last night. I, I was on Reddit, and I looked, I looked at something that was incredibly graphic and it, it, it painful for me to watch and like it's sticking in my brain i can't get it out of my brain and so like after i put my phone down i was like i don't think reddit's good for me i can't think of like one good thing that reddit has ever given me it's like it's bad news going on in the world and it's like memes it's like what am i getting out of this so i think like I'm gonna, I'm gonna eliminate that from my life, and like Facebook, pretty much ninety nine point nine 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 percent of Facebook is just not good for me. Like I, it adds nothing to my life. So it's it's weeding out all of the stuff that is just trash content. That just like <clears throat> I can't remember where I heard this, but your thoughts are made up. Like the things that you think about are formed by what you look at and what what's coming in through your eyes and your sensories. So like you have to really filter and ensure that the quality of the stuff that you're putting into your brain is good. So I never watch the news. I rarely read the news. I'm now going to get off Reddit. I spend one like minute a week looking at Facebook to see if the people that I care about in my life have anything interesting going on. Usually that the answer to that is no. Um, so then it comes down to like Twitter and I, I follow a very select, I'm very selective with who I follow on Twitter. And so I try to only follow people that I feel like put good content out there and that I can learn from them or I'm supporting them on their journey. Um, so beyond that, I, I really don't consume much else. It's, it's, that stuff and books. And I think reading, reading a lot of quality books and can, it's like a content generation machine. Like one book can give you like thousands of ideas to write about. So I love, I love reading books. Yeah. So, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like I'm also very selective. I, or I'm not very selective on Twitter, to be honest. I'm kind of, but, um, Instagram and other things where I have notifications on, I'm very, very selective. Well, I actually recently turned off my notifications on Instagram because it was starting to, like, take me out of focus on different things I was trying to do. So uh, I kind of stopped that. Um, I think that's very interesting. Okay, so there's another question I had, but I kind of forgot. <laughs> um, I really like the thing in your background says discipline equals freedom. How are you disciplined and balance your work life, your family life, and everything else how do you um what do you think of the secret sauce to discipline or balances uh so that that there is more of a reminder for me to be disciplined <clears throat> i'm i as well as i think a lot of people struggle with discipline um but really it is the secret. It's the life hack to like whatever you want in life. If you sit around waiting on motivation, you're never going to get anywhere. You're going to get motivated like once a month. And usually motivation isn't even enough for you to take significant action. Discipline is what you actually are looking for. And discipline is created through systems. And so let's say I want to lose 10 pounds. Um, if I create a goal to lose 10 pounds, most people are like, I want to lose 10 pounds and it's now about to be January. So that's my new year's resolution. I'm going to lose 10 pounds. That's a great goal. How are you going to do it? <clears throat> what systems are you going to put in place to and be disciplined in those systems? And so most likely it's, you know, I'm, this is the dietary system I'm going to stick to. I'm going to eat between these hours and I'm only going to eat these types of foods. That's system one. System two would be generally there's exercise involved. So every single day I'm going to do these exercises at this time. And like you have to create very structured, rigid systems. You, For me, like I can't just say like I'm going to run a mile a day. 
Cause th that's not a set enough system for me to follow. It's gotta be like every day at this time, when this activity is done, that triggers this next event. And at that point, that is when I put my shoes on and go outside. And like when I'm outside on my front porch, then it's like, okay, I'm going on a walk or I'm going on a run or whatever. So <clears throat> I think each person's a little bit different. Um, depending on your level of discipline that you need to go do things. Um, but yeah. And, and then that's that, that will get you your freedom, whatever your freedom is to you, whatever the goal is, whatever the end game is. Um, that's what it takes. Yeah. I think, um, I think a lot of people have these so far off goals, but they need to like live in the present from the future. It's a quote. Probably a lot of people have heard by now of me saying it, but it's by William McDowell. It's so true. Don't just live too much in the future, live in the present too much. There's a sweet spot in the middle, live in the present from the future. Don't have goals of like, I want to be a successful entrepreneur or I want to be very intelligent. Well, you need to learn for an hour a day. That should be your goal. That should be your list. That should be the thing you look at every day and try and check off. Um, and then that will eventually lead you to where you should be, hopefully. Um, so like living in the present from the future. Sorry, but you guys, that's becoming one of my favorite things to say, um, living in the present from the future. I say create the change to want it. That's like my mantra, but also live in the present from the future. I have so many mantras, so many inspirational things I like to, uh, I like to hear. And I just like, I have sticky notes all over my room um, of all my favorite quotes and stuff. Um, what advice would you give to someone trying to pursue a career similar to yours? I have the unpopular opinion, especially like of parents of teenage children, probably, uh, that I think college degrees are largely worthless. Um, <clears throat> it depends on what you want to do with your career. If you want to be a doctor, you have to go get a degree. Like, sorry, can't help you there. But if you want to do a lot of other things, uh, you don't have to get a degree. And you can get a degree, but like from what I've seen in my experience, it has not helped nearly anyone like get ahead. Um, most of the people that I've worked with and come across in my career have degrees in like journalism or like music or something. And they work in it and it's like, they've never used that degree. They spent a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of time going to college and I went out and I got experience in the workforce for four years that I could have been in college studying or whatever else I would have been doing. I was learning what corporate, how corporate America functioned, how to get ahead at work. Um, you know, I, they're, they're both, they're, there's some value. I'm not saying there's no value in college. Um, but from my experience and from what I've seen in this, in my own life and in a bunch of people from, from a lot of different walks of life, I have not seen a significant advantage to going to college. Um, I think if you have, if you have a problem solving mindset and what I, what, what I kind of my mantra is that to get ahead in your career and to be promotable in the workplace. It does not come from everybody's like, just work hard and you'll get what you want. Like I hard disagree with that mindset. Everyone should work hard, like do your job. That is working hard in my mind. Um, but that's not enough. Everybody should be doing their job. That doesn't make you stand out from everybody else. I think, um, standing out and, and being promotable and advancing rapidly comes from short bursts of wildly um, creative and innovative out outcomes. So like that one tool that I told you about earlier that fixed that problem, like that was like one of the two great things I did that year at work. The rest of my year at work was just like going through the motions of doing my job, but all my other peers were going through the motions of doing their jobs. But I had the one or two exceptional things that I did that took like a ton of work, but it was a short burst. It was like a month 
really hard work creating a really awesome thing that we put out into the world that fixed a really annoying problem. And you think, and you think that uh, the way like that you're able to do that is not thinking like, well, I can't do anything. Too bad. You're like you're not in that mindset. You just shifted your mindset, um, and then you're like, okay. Then you see these opportunities, and then you go after them, and now you're like you're making these huge jumps to potentially where you want to be rather than making kind of the small jumps, just doing the job for a long time um, and just doing that. I think that's really cool. You said like your mantra and stuff. Are there any other mantras, inspirational quotes you have? Also, like tell me your number one uh, mantra or quote that you have or someone else said, because I'm going to be doing like an NFT art piece uh, with you, like a portrait of you in my art style, and then also like a quote at the top. <clears throat> I think I think for me it would have to be discipline equals freedom would be the the main thing I try to live by, uh, particularly in my career. Um, you said you asked me what are other mantras? Is that what you said? Yeah, mantras or quotes, just anything someone you were inspired by. Okay, like so the thing that used to hang back here is now over here. And it's a Marcus Aurelius quote from that book that I showed you earlier. You could leave life right now. Let that determine what you do and say and think. And, you know, I say a lot of times to a lot of people, like, I kind of, I say, like, one day we're all going to be dead and none of this is going to matter. <laughs> and, like, that, that can sound bad if you take that the wrong way. But the, the reason that I say that and what I get out of that quote is like not to take things too seriously. Like people, you give, you give yourself so much anxiety and get so worked up and so stressed out about all these things in life. And it's like, it's, it doesn't matter. Like just have fun and just like, I, I think it's important to have goals and things to shoot for and things to give to the world and put out in the world. And, you know, I like to think that, you know, when I, when I am gone from this world, I hope that I have done something and impacted enough lives that my memory at least lives on for a generation or two. But like it, so many of the things that we stress out about and get worked up about, it's like, it doesn't even matter. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter. Success look like in your position. How would you, how do you measure what success looks like in your position? Uh, in my position at my job, success looks like everybody that works for me being successful. Um, and so, you know, pe people, people often say the thing like, but what is success even, or success is different for everyone. And one day I had the genius idea. I was like, I wonder what the actual like definition of success is. And so I think everybody should just Google what is su or success definition. And I 100% agree with the Oxford definition of success, which is the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. Purpose, emphasis on purpose. And that's what I, I mean, that's, I talk to everybody about that. The people that work for me in particular, like don't waste your life working a job for a paycheck do something fulfilling to your soul. And for everyone that's going to be, that is different. Everyone's purpose is different, but success for everyone, in my opinion, in my mind is doing something every day that aligns with your purpose. So if, if I can help people, like, I think I'm a, I think I'm a little unique in that, like the people that work for me at my company, if one day somebody's like, I don't think I want to be in IT. I think I want to, I don't know, lay flooring for a living. I really like laying tile, which I can't imagine, but let's say somebody says that I will do everything as I, everything that I can to help that person go lay tile for a living. Like that's my job as their leader is to get them doing something that is fulfilling. Um, so, so that's, that's my answer. If they're, if they're fulfilled in their purpose, then I'm successful.
perfect so that's how you can be a better leader and as a creator you were saying like basically to think about the people not basically what's in it for you kind of also what Gary preaches so anything else you'd like to add on to that I had one guy that worked for me that uh, super skilled dude another dude with no degree <clears throat> but the most technically skilled person I have ever worked with um, he wanted to be a very high level technical engineer but he was at the time like I don't know 25 or something and so to get these high-level engineering jobs, they wanted tons of work experience in the space. <clears throat> and, like, he wasn't even old enough to have the years of work experience needed. So um, I worked with him to identify certain projects or, in some cases, certifications. Certifications are another thing that I'm not, like, super crazy about, but sometimes... Um, to get promotions or apply for other jobs or something, you might pursue a certain certification that would be appealing for the hiring manager. Uh, so I worked with him on some of that stuff and we were able to, he, he now works for Amazon um, as an engineer for them. So <clears throat> it's just conversations with people asking them, what is it that drives you and motivates you? What do you, what is your purpose in this life and how can I help you get there? hundred percent. If you, if you take on the responsibility of leading other human beings, that's it. It's about them, not about you. And that, my folks, is Anthony Disney on how to be a better content creator, leader, manager, problem solver, and more. I hope that you really enjoyed this episode of the Adaptives with Maya Parker podcast. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, make sure to check out our other podcast episodes and leave a follow wherever you're listening at, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to this from. Thank you so much and stay tuned.